This is Gail Trotter, host of Right in DC. Today we're speaking with Susanna Abeyo. Susanna is a Venezuelan immigrant to the United States, and she's a current college student in Northern Virginia. She came to the U.S. as a teenager with her mother and three siblings. She became involved in what was going on in her home country through social media. We're going to have a conversation with her about the current status of the situation in Venezuela and her views of it as an American citizen now. You're not going to want to miss this. You're right in D.C. with Gail Trotter. This is Gail Trotter, host of Right in D.C. Today we're joined by Susanna Abeo, who is in our studio to talk about her native country, Venezuela. Susanna, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So give us a little background. We're sitting in this beautiful studio by Hillsdale College called the Kirby Center, right in the shadow of the Capitol Building and the Supreme Court in Union Station. How did you find yourself in Washington, D.C. when I guessed that you were born in Venezuela? Yes, I was born and raised in Venezuela. My parents went to Illinois State University, um, and my oldest sister was born in Illinois. Uh, after they graduated, my dad insisted that they go back to Venezuela because that's where our family is. And uh, so we went back. I was born. Brother and sister were born after me. And um, eventually, you know, due to the conflicts down there and some family situations, my parents separated. And my mom, she was always a huge fan of the United States. She never wanted to leave in the first place. So. What did she really like about the United States? She just likes the culture. She, she I don't know. She's like an American at heart. <laughs> she, did she like it before she came to college here or did she, was it her college experience that really made her love America? Um, you know, I've, I'm not entirely sure, but I know that she didn't just go to Illinois State University. She did live in Charlotte, North Carolina. She lived in New York. She lived in, so she traveled quite a little bit. And I think that she was just a fan of everything, the language, the, the culture, the music, the people. Yeah, she, she loves it here. And as you were growing up in Venezuela, had you any opportunity to take a trip to the United States before you moved here permanently, or was it fresh? No, not for me. I didn't. Um, yeah, growing up, I remember, you know, like the first part, the first six six to eight years of my life were pretty pretty comfortable, pretty steady. And which city were you living in? Or Caracas. Caracas. Caracas, yeah. And uh, after that, that's sort of when we started struggling um, you know, like the political situation started going down and jobs were hard. My mom, you know, kept getting laid off. And so, of course, an international trip was not something that was in our budget. Mm -hmm. Right, 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 right. And you mentioned that there was some political strife at that time. About what years are we talking about? Uh, well, I was very, very little, so I'm not entirely positive. Um, I mean, a Rumor has it that there's been conflict in Venezuela for like at least 30 years. You 30 know, like years. A lot of political, you know, corruption. And so I just remember the 90s, like the later part of the 90s being very badly. And actually, that's when Chavez came into power, you know, because the people were fed up with how bad the things were. And they were hoping that he would make everything better. And instead, he just made everything much worse. Who was in power before Chavez? Um, Caldera, Rafael Caldera. 
And what was his uh, party? What was his affiliation? And why were the people dissatisfied with him? They were just thieves. You know, that's that's unfortunately a trend that I see a lot in Latin America. You know, people in power, they take advantage. They fill their pockets. They they don't take care of their people. And it was just another South American, you know, sad story, unfortunately. You know, same situation where there's no jobs and, you know, or there are jobs, but people struggle. There's just a lot of poverty, a lot of... The one thing that we had going for us back then, even back then, was our education system was amazing, like top-notch schools and teachers and colleges and and that would be the public education system Mm -hmm. yes public education was top-notch and you went through that to age 15 when Mm -hmm. you moved to the united states yes and it was still good at that point yes i remember when i moved here and uh, i didn't speak english at all so they put me back one year they oh and uh because I didn't speak English, they put me in this very basic courses, you know, like basic math, basic science, oh, yes. you know, so that I could get used to. And but they were teaching us like elementary school science, elementary school math. Well, to me, it felt that way. So I don't know. I can't actually know. I'm going to take that back. It was an elementary level, but it was definitely like middle school level, which for me was elementary level back in Venezuela. So I was a little shocked about, you know, how much I knew compared to other kids, you know, that came from other countries that they were literally learning English and also like new stuff. I felt like I was just learning English. I already knew all this stuff. Right. And were there any other Venezuelans in your class or Mm-mm. was there a group of students who, who were mainly from one particular country or was it really everybody was from a different country? Uh, there was a, there's a lot of Central Americans, I feel like. Um, there were no Venezuelans. I remember there was one guy who's father was Peruvian, his mom was Venezuelan, and I think she worked in the school, but I actually never met her or him until after I graduated. That was pretty funny. Um, And then when I was a junior, a freshman came in, and she was from Venezuela, but she only stayed the one year, and then she went back. So other than that, there were no other Venezuelans in my my school. So tell us a little bit about the culture of Venezuela. Where is it located in South America, and is it similar to some of the other countries that surround it, the neighboring countries, or is it very different? We're actually um, above Brazil. So Brazil is different language. Um, they speak Portuguese. They speak Portuguese, yes. We are also next to Colombia. And I think I find Colombians and Venezuelans to be fairly similar, but a lot of people would disagree. And did Venezuela have similar uh, illegal drug production that Colombia did during the 1980s, or was that not as big of a issue with Venezuela? It was not as big of an issue. Nowadays, it looks like it is, because the current government has been making sure that we have that we play an important role, <laughs> right, 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 in um in drug trafficking. But um no, when I was in Venezuela, I mean yes, of course you heard about drugs and you heard about like you know drug trafficking and all that stuff, but mainly from Colombia, definitely not from Venezuela. We actually made fun of them. Every time you met ah. a Colombian, you were like, okay. They didn't find it funny, but we no. did. <laughs> so you just painted the entire country of Colombians as being involved in the drug trade as a yes. joke. and gorillas, yes. <laughs> and gorillas. And gorillas, ah. yeah. And there were not gorillas in Venezuela as Mm-mm. much when you were growing up. No, not at all, actually, I think. It was very quiet. Um, I love the country that I grew up in. It was, you know, it, it was just lively a lot of people were happy you know even even the things weren't 
100% going for us. I mean, people were happy. There was always food and dancing and laughing and family and friends and, you know, people struggled, but there was no misery. I can't really, I mean, I haven't been to Venezuela in 10 years, but the last time that I went, all of that was gone. It was all gone. So it was a very family-oriented culture when you were growing up? Still is. In fact, that's one of the things that we struggle with the most, my family being here. I mean, we. this is our home, but it doesn't always feel like our home because we don't have our immediate family. I mean, my dad still lives down there. Um, I have numerous uncles and aunts and cousins, and they're all down there. And it just, it's not home when you don't have your family, you know, within... Within a two-hour drive. (laughs) And would you go back if you could? Or do you fear that as an American now that you would be targeted in some fashion? Um, You mean would I go back to visit? Yes. Yes, not to live. Mm -hmm. But possibly. Would you you consider going back to live? If the country did a turnaround and I thought that there was a chance of like bringing it back up from where it's right now, yes, I would definitely consider moving back. I love, love, love my country. Love it. Um, what is the thing about your country that you would say is most poignant or most representative of the people of your country and you identify with it so much so that if you didn't have that either characteristic or uh, activity or, or something that you would feel like you were not Venezuelan anymore? I think it would be our livelihood. You know, even even nowadays, I mean, you meet a Venezuelan, they're more than likely, you know, they're going to be smiling, you know, this huge grin at you. They're going to be talking to you. They're going to ask you how you're doing. They're going to Facebook friend request you immediately, and they're going to ask you for your phone number. They're going to invite you to, the, like, their grandma's birthday party next week. <laughs> I mean, we're just so sociable. So, yeah, we're, I think that's what what defines a Venezuelan. When I meet a Venezuelan, I expect them to be super friendly, super welcoming. Um, that's how that's how I know my people to be. Mm-hmm. And how did you find Americans to be when you moved here at age 15? Did, they, did some share that same no. liveliness? <laughs> no, no. They're definitely a little more, um, not standoffish, but they're not as, for example, when you meet somebody, you know, I, I go you I go to my friend's house and I meet her mom for the first time. She's very, mm, she's going to hug me. She's going to give me a kiss. Here, th- that doesn't right? happen. The very first time you meet the someone. The very first time wow. you meet somebody, they're hugging you. I mean, here you get, you know, a handshake and a nice, you know, look in the eye. And it's nice to meet you. And that's pretty much it. You know, so that to me was a bit of a culture cl- clash. Right. Um, right, right. You know, not being able to. I remember that with my other South American friends and Central American friends, you greet somebody with a kiss on the cheek. Yes. And I remember the American kids were freaked out by that. And they were like, <laughs> are you guys like lesbians? We're like, no, because right. we kiss, we greet everybody like that. Like, right. we, well, women do, men and women. Men, of course, they're not going to kiss each other, but the women do for sure. And so everybody was a little freaked out by that. But to us, it's just, you know, yeah. And there's a European thing that you kiss on both cheeks. So I had to learn that as an adult mm-hmm. when my children went to schools with European parents that they would it wasn't one kiss was enough. You had to have kisses on both cheeks. <laughs> yeah, that to me that's also a bit too much. <laughs> yeah, it's 
I wasn't used to that either. I went to Paris um, about a year, almost two years ago to visit my cousin, and I had a couple of people give me kiss on both both cheeks. And the first time I was like smiley. The second time I was like, what just happened? Right, 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 so, right. So, yeah. yeah very, very interesting cultural differences. Mm-hmm. What is the food like in Venezuela? Are there particular um, dishes that you think typify Venezuelan uh, cuisine? Arepas. And describe that for us. Those are um, corn flour patties. And they also have them in Colombia. But Colombians, they make them very simple. You know, they just make their corn patty, they grill it, and that's it. We actually, like, cut it open and we stuff it with everything on your table. I mean, you can put, like, meats and vegetables and eggs and cheeses and, I mean, anything that comes to mind you can stuff it with. And they're just so good. There's actually, when, when we first moved here... There were no Venezuelan restaurants. We I was barely, just going to ask that. Yeah, no, we barely knew any Venezuelans. And now now I've noticed, well, probably because of social media, you know, Facebook is, has such a huge community that it's almost like they all came together. And now you realize there's actually a Venezuelan food truck. Oh. Yeah. And they're, well, right now their food truck is broken. They just announced it on Instagram. So they're not out at the moment. But um, they have been around DC for a couple of years and they, they sell arepas and they sell cachapas, which are like pancakes, but they're made with corn. And those are really good too. Um, and there's a couple other places. There's one in Woodbridge that I like to go to a lot. Uh huh. And are there particular holidays that are celebrated in Venezuela that are different than the ones that you celebrate? In the U.S., I can't. The only one that I really miss is Carnaval. <laughs> ah, yes. Is Which that is, like the port, like the Buenos Aires Carnival, or not is it a little wi- tame? The <laughs> tamer. The, the one in Rio de Janeiro is like wild. That one goes on for like Rio. Think, that's what month. I meant, not Buenos Aires, yeah. but Rio. Yes. <laughs> yeah, those are wild. Um, the one in Venezuela is not as wild, but it's definitely a lot of fun. There's a lot of partying, a lot of egg throwing and egg a lot of throwing. yeah if you're in high school you're gonna come out with some egg on you wow yeah. um in good fun not in anger but people dress up and yeah it's just it's a lot of fun and they don't have i mean here like the closest thing to it is mardi gras but no it just is not as people don't i mean down there you especially if you're in elementary school it's a blast because they actually have an entire day where like every kid dresses up and it's just a huge party Right. Like, all day long, it's just partying. There are no classes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yes. Oh, fun. <laughs> so the the culture sounds very family-oriented. Yes. And very friendly, very lively. And can you contrast that with your experience of the political system and turmoil that you experienced growing up? Um, The first part of my life, there wasn't as much contrast. Um. But after after socialism came into power, I did see a lot of families getting divided by it because there were people that supported the government, like family members that were with the government, family members that were not with the government, and that that really divided families and friendships. I mean, it torn people apart. So that was like I know like firsthand what it can do to a family. And would what were the consequences of that? Did they um, did the government take measures against people who oppose the government? Yes, they still do. Mm-hmm. In fact, that's there was a conflict over the over the WhatsApp app uh, conversation that I have going on with one of my I think it's on my mom's side, um, a cousin that lives in Venezuela and an aunt that live here got into it, 
because um, somebody complained about something and the one that lives here was like, well, if you guys went out on the streets and protested and did something and he just went off and he was like, you don't understand. You go out and you say something and you may never be seen or heard from again. Wow. Like, we don't know what happens to those people. They they're thrown into jails. Are they murdered? Are they exiled? Are they what happens to them? Nobody knows. But it's very dangerous to go out and try to start something. Um, my mom was explaining that to me the other day. She's because I was asking her the same question. I was like, I understand why, like here, like you saw, like the day after inauguration, how these women came together and marched, and it was like millions of them. I was like, why can't Venezuelans do that? She was like, because they're not organized. So you have this one small group of people that are trying to start something, but they government comes and takes them away and it just dies right there this is gail trotter you're listening to right in dc we're speaking with Susanna abeo we'll be right back we'd like to recognize make-a-wish foundation make-a-wish america serves a unique and vital role in helping strengthen and empower children battling life-threatening medical conditions you can learn more about them at wish.org Welcome back to Right in D.C. with Gail Trotter. This is Gail Trotter, host of Right in D.C. We're continuing our conversation with Susanna Abeo, discussing her native country of Venezuela. Susanna, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Thank you, Gail. We left off our conversation at sort of a dramatic point. You were talking about the contrast between political protests in the United States, where many people who were unhappy about the presidential election results decided that the day after the the inauguration, they would march, they would flood the streets and, and say to the entire world what they thought about our political system and our political choices. And you were contrasting that with what happens in Venezuela. And you have relatives there who have said, when challenged about why don't they protest against the government if they don't like it and if it's an illegitimate government. And you shared that your family members have mentioned that they're not sure what happens to people when they protest. They're not. And we feel like it has to be something that has to be done very, you know, people have to be very careful um, if they are plotting against the government somewhere somehow i mean i don't know that they are i don't know if somebody out there is you know maybe there's like millions of people already getting together planning something like some kind of strike or some time of some but um but yes the 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 group of people if there's if there's not enough if if there are more army men than protesters if there's more police involved they're definitely going to take you away and yeah i'm some people do eventually get released and they just go back home and with a good beating. <laughs> um, oh. But some people, yeah, they're not hurt from again. I remember um, back in 2014, I think that's um, when I really became passionate about what was going on in Venezuela because when sort of it exploded, the whole situation down there, like social media um, started like making it more known, the, the actual situation. And... Uh, Students were protesting, like college students. They were they were going out, and and a lot of them were killed. A lot of them were never heard or seen from. I mean, it's it's really sad to think that you know, and that scares the other people. It scares the younger generations. Yes. It scares the older generations. Then nobody wants to go out. Everybody's you know freaked out. 
um yeah it's it's sad right it's very reminiscent of the tiananmen square massacre in china when i was in high school or college where the students were out protesting for democracy and there are these iconic pictures of chinese student demonstrators standing unarmed completely just by themselves nothing nothing to resist the government other than their ability to stand there and say this is not acceptable we don't accept this and then tanks coming at them yeah we there's a lot of footage on youtube um on facebook on instagram i follow a lot of pages community pages created by i don't know by who but they upload information they upload pictures they upload news and yeah you see you see the same thing it's just people don't talk about it as much i don't know the american media or the venice uh, presumably the venezuelan media is controlled by the government the venezuelan media is definitely censoring um you know what what makes it out but uh, having said that if you have an internet connection and an instagram account you can make things known so i do sometimes wonder why you know, all these videos are out online, you know, and I don't know if people are seeing them and they're just not responding or if they're just, they don't realize how bad it really is down there. And do you feel like social media has helped? Obviously, we're getting information that we would not have had access to previously because there was no outlet for that information. Uh, but it also sounds like you're saying there's somewhat of an apathy that people may see it, they may have access to the information of what's going on in Venezuela, but they're not, they're unwilling to take action or afraid to take action or they're not organized to take action? Within Venezuela, there, I feel like there's a lot, they're not organized. They're, there's a lot of conflict, even within the opposition, like they just can't get, you know, yeah, they you know they fight with they fight with each other so of course like the bad guys you know they're still together they they have this plan and it works for them because they stick together whereas the opposition you have like several smaller groups and instead of getting together and actually knocking these other guys out they're just like sitting there like you know trying to make their own thing you know um and if we're talking about outside from Venezuela what i've noticed is that a lot of the rest of the world feels like we got ourselves into this mess and we can get ourselves out of it Oh, I've seen comments sort of like, well, you voted those guys in, so have fun getting rid of them. So there's oh, wow. that's that's the response that I've if when I get a response, that's the response that I see. And I do you think that that's accurate that the uh, the voters did that? It was a, a fair election. The voters did choose these leaders and they were just surprised by the direction that the leaders took. The very first time that we voted for this government, I believe that we were fooled because he he campaigned in a much more different way than he governed. So, yes, he definitely he told us what we wanted to hear. And yes, the Venezuelans did vote for this guy to come into power. But every election after that has been crooked. They've. They've stolen votes and they've they've weaseled their way back in. They've changed the constitution. They've murdered people. They've exiled people. They've they've rooted themselves in Venezuela. And 
I think it's sad that, I mean, we didn't know, uh, they sold it as socialism, sort of the European style. What we got was a dictatorship and communism, the Cuban style. We would not have voted for these guys had we known that they were going to be, you know, having ties with Fidel Castro. Earlier, you spoke about how many South American countries have experienced a similar thing of voting people in who then end up lining their pockets and not taking care of the people and doing anything other than actually being good statesmen and good leaders. Now, this happens all over the world. But as you said, it seems like there is something in particular about South America that gives rise to that or allows that to happen. Do you think there is something culturally or geographically or historically that allows that to happen in a way in South South America that maybe doesn't happen in other places? I think it's cultural. I think that the South American person is very kind-hearted. We want to believe that people are good. And I think that they get taken advantage of because of that, you know, nature of theirs. You know, like we, again, you get this guy and he's going to give you the world. You're going to believe him. There's no skepticism. There's no like second guessing. There's no, let me think this through. I mean, and also, unfortunately, I feel like a lot of people in South America can be bought out, you know, so um, this same thing that ha- is happening in Venezuela has happened in other countries. They've been able to knock those governments out. The reason why this can't really happen in Venezuela is because they actually have other South American countries supporting them. Mm. They give them hospitals. They give them oil money. Venezuela is a very rich country. It's actually one of the, if not the richest country in South America. So when they started like sharing their wealth, then the other countries went mute. Ah, yes. Money talks, right? Mm -hmm. So you think that perhaps part of South American culture is a lack of cynicism or uh, need to show proof of intentions rather than just believing what people say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What do you see the path forward of Venezuela is the best path forward? Um. I hate to say it. I just, I think that somebody has to come, you know, and I don't know who that person is, where they are, if they've even been born yet. Um, <laughs> they have to strike. Um, they have to be very secretive about it. They have to be very smart, very cautious. Um, there has to be some organization that will not make public what their plans are, and they have to sort of sucker punch the government. Um and do you think that can be done in a nonviolent way uh, along no. the order of Martin Luther King, Gandhi, particular uh, historical examples of nonviolent change? No. And I have a couple aunts that are going to hate me for saying this because they're very religious and they believe in peaceful protesting. And that's what they've been doing for years. They go out in white shirts and they chant and they keep saying, you know, we believe that we will be better, that the country is just going through a phase, that, you know, these guys will come out, these guys will come out. They, it's it's a lot of wishful thinking. It's a lot of hopeful talk. Um, and what does the white shirt symbolize? Peace. 
And I just, I don't see results from that. And I, I'm not a violent person. In fact, I'm not I very... can tell just sitting next to you. <laughs> Clearly, you're not. <laughs> yeah, no, I actually, that's that would be my last resort. But after almost 20 years of this, I do think that some blood has to be shed. And it pains me to say it because, again, I have so many friends and so much family down there. Of course, I don't want to see them get hurt, let alone killed. But... I can tell you one thing. If I were down there, I don't know that I would still be alive because I can't fathom not doing something. I can't fathom not going out and, like, fighting. You know, just you have to fight. You have to physically fight. Like, you have to, like, push them out, you know? Like, if somebody gets inside your house and they start, like, destroying your home, you're going to kick them out. You're going to open that door. You're going to shove them out. So why are you not doing that? You're not just going to sit there shouting, please leave, please leave, please, 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 pretty please. Like, you can't do that. It's not going to happen. Right. And related to that, how does the government allow firearms to be owned by ordinary private citizens? They don't. Not at all. Not at all. And it's funny because I'm not pro-gun, but I was having a a bit of an argument with a friend of mine on Facebook. My mom and I actually with him. This was after the Orlando shooting. And my mom and I were, you know, talking against owning guns because of the Orlando shooter, this and that. And he commented, he said, if the Venezuelans could have guns, do you think they would stand in line for 13 hours waiting for food? Wow. And that to me was an eye opener. I was like, holy moly, he's totally right. You have the citizens that need the weapons don't have them. Who has the weapons? The criminals and the police, which might as well be criminals. I mean, they are worse than the criminals. So you have the guy that will, you know, shoot you and take your watch and your wallet and then you have the actual police officer who will abuse their power. Um. Right. And I think when you're talking about being able to resist a tyrannical government that the Venezuelans are enduring right now, if the citizenry does not have any ability to arm themselves unless they violate the law like the criminals are doing, then how can they oppose the police and the military? And history shows you look at Vietnam, you look at Afghanistan, you look at a lot of countries through the last uh, hundred years, a lot of those insurgencies did not have, you know, airplanes, F-16s. They didn't have nuclear weaponry. They had firearms and they had the ability to do these kind of guerrilla type actions. Now, you're saying that they would need organization. So it's not enough that the citizenry be armed, and it's not enough that you have people who are unhappy with the current government, but you need some sort of organizational structure to pull people together and do it in a coordinated way. Otherwise, they just pick you off and and you disappear or you go to prison. Mm-hmm. That or we need somebody with a bit of a conscience, somebody that works closely with this bad government to actually change something because there are people that have power that could change the situation you know in no time they just don't want to they choose money over over people's lives you know so i don't know what it's going to take how do you think the international community could play a role in changing the situation in venezuela see the thing is my faith in international community is not 
as present as it once was, probably from like, like I told you the response of, well, if you get yourself into that mess, then you can get yourself out. Like that's, that's what I see. Um, we have, having said that, I do realize that there's a lot of Venezuelans that are doing nothing and they're waiting for an international, you know, the oh, they pers- are. Yeah, they are. Um, I remember one time I was on Instagram like, three years ago. And I was commenting like furiously on this one picture and some person that I, you know, I don't know, there's some stranger. They they looked up my Instagram. It's private, but it does say where I live. The, you know, the area right. says USA. Yes. So yes. he said to me, you're in the US. Why don't you get your people, the people up there to come out and help us? And I was like, so you, you're telling me that you're going to sit very comfortably and take it until somebody with guns and an army comes and takes over do you i mean do they really think that let's say that the united states you know they come and they take over they get those guys out do you think they're just gonna like then leave the country and just like have you rebuild it from scratch and like like, i was like no i've i think that if somebody were to help venezuela it would be to gain something from it like i said venezuela is a very rich country they have so much oil I mean, we could be, uh, if you look at Saudi Arabia, we could be just like them. I mean, so advanced, so rich, so successful. I mean, we have even more than they do. And I think that if somebody were to help, it would be with the intention of gaining some of that. And I don't know that they would leave if they were to invade Venezuela. Again, Venezuelans, they might be okay with that because they're already being taken over by a bad government if a better government comes over and they want to take over that's fine as long as there's food on my table and beer in my fridge (laughs) whiskey (laughs) exactly (laughs) then i don't care um it's 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 a weird it's a weird situation for me because like every time that i talk to somebody i get a different point of view but i do find that most people are just sitting there waiting for something to happen they're not doing anything and they're like as long as i'm not struggling too much Let's see what happens. Right. And now that you're in America and you see the world stage in the Middle East and utter flames and problems with North Korea and China and Russia, what do you think the likelihood is that the United States would really give any – they're paying attention to Venezuela, obviously, but do you think that the United States would make that happen? I don't know how to answer that because my position right now is, you know, eight years – in eight years, I don't think Obama really even acknowledged what was happening in Venezuela. Oh. He actually sort of made peace with Cuba, and I don't know how I feel about that yes. yet, because I'm like, Cubans, it's not their fault. Right, right. But the, government. the Cuban government, I'm like, how can you, you know, and I don't know if Obama knows what they were doing to Venezuela, but it's really their fault. It's their fault, because they actually, I, I recently found out, you know, through like researching and talking they tried to do what what happened in 1989. They tried to do earlier in the 80s. Like they, Fidel Castro tried to take over Venezuela, but they wouldn't let him. They wouldn't let him. So I'm like, it, that was his second strike at attempting to take over this country with all the oil, with all the money, with all the riches. So um, Obama, you know, I don't know if he knows this, but he didn't really acknowledge it. He didn't really do anything or say anything. Now, Trump has been in the White House for a few weeks, and he already, there's an opposition leader, Leopoldo Lopez, he's been 
incarcerated since March of 2014 or February 2014, um, and they don't let him out. He was the strongest opposition leader. leader. That's why they that's why they locked him up. And the reason why I think he's still alive is because, you know, everybody knows who he is. And right. they know that if something happens to him, you know, all hell's going to bro- break loose. Um, so Trump actually brought his wife to Washington, D.C. Wow. And he he listened to her like she got to talk to him. So that to me was confusing. I was like, wow. So we have this, you know, President Obama, who was such a great president, but he didn't really do anything or say anything. And then we have Donald Trump, who... A lot of my friends and family are not fans of him. I still don't know how I feel about him, but he does this thing for us. And I'm like, are you doing it because, again, because you know where we're located and what we have, what our resources are, and you want a piece of that? Or are you doing it because you really do care about this country of mine, in which case I love you? Right. That's a great question. Like, I I don't know. I'm very conflicted. Like, I'm conflicted in all sense of the word about where I stand, you know, if the U.S. will do something or not. I mean, they didn't for the past eight years, and now I don't know. Well, even if they just, even if this administration just gives rhetorical support to the Venezuelan opposition, that seems like that would be an improvement over the policy of the last eight years. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Because, I mean, the United States, you know, even we go through a crisis and we have our troubles and we haven't always been the strongest, but we're still one of the stronger nations of the world and if we support something people listen if we are against something people listen like the rest of the world knows where we stand so it would mean the world to us if a gov- like the government of the united states actually showed support for venezuela and they at least just by words spoke up and said please stop what you're doing i mean people are dying it's not a joke I don't think we can end on a more powerful statement than that. And we are in the nation's capital. So hopefully the people in charge right over there will be listening to this and put it into action. (laughs) Susanna, thank you so much for joining us today on Right in D.C. Thank you so much for listening to me. This is Gail Trotter, host of Right in D.C. Music provided by local band Trio Caliente. Visit their website at triocaliente.com or sample their music on iTunes. You can like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, and hear me every week on iTunes. This is Gail Trotter, right in D.C.